Well, it's a pleasure to welcome Sam Clement to MSU today. Sam is a Michigan State University alumnus and a fellow Gary Reed disciple, and he's the president and CEO-elect of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Sam, great to have you on the program. Russ, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Can we start, uh, summarize a little bit your career path? When did you graduate from MSU, and what have you been doing since now you're at the MAB? I, I came to Michigan State in 2003 and got out in four years. Uh, it was good from a tuition standpoint, uh, but I really enjoyed my time there. So I graduated in May of 2007, and about two weeks later, uh, I packed my bags and went down to Salem, Illinois, which is a, a very small community about three hours south of Chicago and uh, two and a half hours east of St. Louis. Uh, very small radio station there. And I was hired to be a, a news reporter, uh, kind of an all-purpose reporter. Uh, when I got down there, just to give you some context as to how small it was, I asked them, you know, after work, what do you do for fun? And they said, oh, we have a Walmart. And I was like, oh, you know, all right, fair <laughs> enough. I'll, I'll be doing a lot of time working, so that's good. Um, but I really enjoyed my time there. I was there for about six months, and while that may not seem like a lot of time, it really was all work all the time. I wasn't distracted. I had no friends, no family down there, which, you know, that's probably not the way to do it. I wouldn't encourage people to do it that way, but it did allow me to really dive into my work. Um, and a couple months after that, uh, November of that year, I was hired as a news and sports director at a station uh, in Pine City, Minnesota. They were a small commercial station. They didn't have a presence on local news. And in that era, it was kind of the time where newspapers started to kind of see that decline. And there was a gap and a need for local news presence. And this station thought that this is an opportunity for them to, to get in that door. So they hired me to, to start the news and sports department. And I hadn't really, I'd done nothing like that. So it was, it was an absolutely a leap of faith. Um, I was there for about two and a half years. And I tell people this all the time, without that two and a half years, there's no way I could have done anything else in my career because I learned from mistakes. I learned from some trial and error. Uh, and it was a fantastic experience. I, I, I speak very fondly about my time in Pine City. Very cold uh, in, in middle <laughs> Minnesota, but uh, it was a great opportunity to, to do a little bit of everything. From there, I was hired um, at a public station in West Lafayette, Indiana, and spent about two years there. Again, a great experience. I had a lot of great mentors there that taught me. I was, I was a good writer. I learned a lot of that at Michigan State, and we can talk a little bit about that. But I really got a lesson in, in how to write for broadcast, how to deliver for broadcast, and it was a, a great experience. And took that uh, to then to Indianapolis, where I was a reporter for two years at the public station there. And ultimately took a, took a year in PR and then was hired back into the broadcasting realm uh, for about six years, being the number two guy at the Indiana Broadcasters Association, uh, a company called Arlen Communications, a firm, and they, they run the IBA. And I was hired by Dave Arlen to, to be his number two there for the IBA and, and really appreciated that time and then ultimately landed here. And before I even ask you what the Michigan Association of Broadcasters is, what attracted you to the position you're in now? So a lot of things. The time at the IBA um, was was great. I, I learned a lot about what associations do, how they can support the future of broadcasting. And, and at my core, I'm a broadcaster. I, I loved it since I was five years old. Um, you know, I was listening to Ernie Harwell growing up and George <laughs> Blaha growing up, and those were my guys, and I, I just fell in love with it. And I got to see the, you know, being on air was great, uh, but I, I got to see another side of it, which is fighting for broadcaster rights, helping the next generation make sure that they're equipped um, in terms of uh, support and connections that they can make. And, and associations 
play a huge part in doing that. And, and I love that. And I fell in love with that uh, at the IBA. And I'll say this, Michigan does it about as well as you can do it in the country. Um, there's 50 broadcaster associations across the country, and Michigan is one of the best. And I give Carol White and her staff, who I'm, I'm replacing Carol, a lot of credit for that. She's been doing this for a very long time and has been very innovative in how she's done things. So to have that infrastructure in place and to kind of build on a, a place that's already successful was incredibly attractive. And, and Carol's been great in helping me in that transition. So what is the Michigan Association of Broadcasters? What's what's the mission? What are some of the key issues you're working on? So it's, it's a 501c6 nonprofit. And uh, the, the mission of the MAB uh, is to promote broadcasting, to work for our members. There's uh, more than 300 TV and radio stations that are members uh, of the MAB. And the goal is, in, in my opinion, is to support the next generation to get ahead of what is coming uh, and to be an advocate for our industry. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of challenges, and again, I'm, I'm sure we'll dive into this a little bit, but uh, to make sure that our, our members feel supported, that they have someone that's there to help them stay ahead of, of the trends, to, to be a voice for them on a legislative level. Uh, and that's where the MAB, I, I think, really uh, has its strength. And so what are some of the challenges and opportunities facing Michigan broadcasters? And, and are they different for radio and TV? I imagine they have similar but separate challenges too? Yeah, of, of course. I, I think kind of on a 10,000-foot level, the, the main issues are uh, retention uh, it is a big one and, and recruitment. Um, so there are many more options for media, even from when I was in school 15, 16 years ago. And that, that landscape has changed. There are so many more options. I mean, when, when I was a freshman, I think, is when Facebook started. And so to think of just how that has completely shifted the, the entire dynamic of media is incredible. Um, but I think that attracting people to our industry is a challenge. We, we have an oppor- a lot of opportunity there. Um, but it's harder and harder to get younger people into broadcasting because they do have so many options, and, and I completely understand that. But I think there is real opportunity for us to connect with a new generation who may not have grown up you know, changing the dial uh, on a radio in, in their car. That, that it, it's very conceivable that they're consuming radio in a very different way. Or they may not think of to, cha- to, you know, to turn on Channel 7 to watch your nightly news. They are consuming news differently. And that's okay. And, and that's completely fine. Things change. Things evolve. The way we consume content evolves. That's fine. But I think it's very important for our industry to connect with those people and meet them where they are uh, to, to keep our industry alive and strong. And I remember telling you recently that uh, I asked a prominent Detroit radio operations manager a couple of years ago, did he care how people got their content anymore or would they prefer they got it over the air? And he said, no, we don't really care as long as they're consuming it. And I, it almost made me wonder, is Michigan Association of Content Deliverers more accurate these days. Yeah. It's funny that you said that. So over the, I, I've been in this role for about a month, and I'm, I'm touring different stations and meeting with staff. And I, a couple of weeks ago, met with a, a young woman who's uh, in sales uh, for a radio station. And I asked her, I was like, so do you listen to radio? And she, she flat out was like, no, I don't. And I said, so how do, you, how do you sell radio? And she said, I'm not selling radio. I'm selling content. And I understand that. And that makes sense to me. It, you don't have to sell necessarily... 95.5 on the FM dial. That, that's okay, but you can sell personalities. You can connect what we do as broadcasters in a very different way. Um, and I just think it's important that we are flexible of, of meeting them there while, again, still maintaining our core. And the. I mean, just, just because we're trying to attract young people doesn't mean that we still don't have an audience base 
who did grow up with radio, to ensuring that the content is strong, to ensure that the accessibility of, of radio and TV is easy. If that means that you're tuning it to your smart device, we need to be very adaptable uh, in, in making sure that we're meeting people where they are. So talk about maybe some short and long-term goals you have as you get going at the MAB. From a short-term standpoint, I really do want to make sure that we're making connections with, with the college students, the students here at Michigan State's campus and across the state at colleges and universities, because that's where the talent is. Ultimately, that is where we're going to have to pass the torch. And so I want to make sure that they feel equipped, that they have the skills coming in. And, and I'm not just talking about from an on-air standpoint. Um, a huge gap and a huge priority for me is on the engineering side. Um, if you go into any radio station or TV station, the average age you know, is probably in the mid to upper 50s. And these are tr- traditionally men that have been doing this for 30 years. And you, when you ask them, you know, how do you fix this? It's not in a handbook. It's in, it's in their brains because they, they just know how to do it. But we need to train when they retire and they move on. There has to be someone that they can help uh, or that can t- step in for them. And I think that getting young, t- and there's a lot of young talent out there, who can step in and be our next generation of engineers, who can think differently, but still make sure that they're doing what is necessary to, to, to keep us on air. That is a, a real oppor- a challenge, but also a humongous opportunity. And these are very stable jobs. These are jobs where you can start and you can grow and you can be in this position for 10, 15, 20, 30. You can make a co- complete career out of it. And I think sharing that and sharing the opportunities with with those people is, is very important. So, um, you know, a short-term goal is to, to continue to make connections and, and recruit the next generation, um, but also to make sure that our members feel like they know what's coming. So, you know, Russ, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Uh, you know, ATSC 3.0 is a huge opportunity. We just happen to be, you know, right next door to a studio that is one of the, the pioneers. WKAR is is a pioneer for what's to come with ATSC 3. They're, they're doing testing. Um, and for those not familiar, it's the new broadcast standard. And it's incredible in its capabilities, which are still being worked out and, and trying to figure out what exactly that means. Um, but for example, it's 4K content. Uh, it's more immersive audio. So you can bring up the dialogue ahead. You know, sometimes, you know, that background noise and dialogue, it's, it's hard to decipher between the two. You can make sure that the dialogue is at the forefront. And that's incredible from a consumer standpoint to be able to have a more customized experience. Uh, and I think that there's a real opportunity there, and it's a, the MAB's job to ensure that our stations feel like they know what's coming, that they can have the infrastructure to make sure that they're able to to do those kind of things as well. Sam Clement is my guest on MSU Today, the president and CEO-elect of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. They're online at mishmab.com. And Sam, take me back when you were coming out of high school. Why was MSU the place for you? I grew up in Metro Detroit. Uh, I, I went to Brother Rice High School, so a little love for the Warriors down there in, in Birmingham. Um, but I, I always wanted to do broadcasting. Uh, I remember distinctly when I was about five or six years old, I was sitting in my room and I would just have the Detroit News or Free Press. I would hit record on a cassette player back then and um, would just make my own sports cast. And somewhere, I'm sure these tapes exist in my mom's basement. I would love to hear them because I know they were atrocious, but... Just I was just making content to make it. It was fun for me. Um, and I just kind of kept that mentality. You know, I I think in high school, if you would have asked me, I, I would have told you my two dreams would have been point guard for the Pistons uh, or broadcaster for the Pistons. Um, <laughs> you know, if the Pistons are looking to tank again this year, I, I still would be willing to take up that opportunity. Um, but I, 
as a five foot at the time, five, you know, very small high school kid. Uh, I've grown since, but at the <laughs> time I, I kind of realized that uh, basketball and a career in the NBA is probably not going to happen. So what is my other avenue? And I love broadcasting. And as I was looking at schools, um, you know, I, I wanted to go to Pepperdine. That was my dream school, but paying to go to Malibu uh, from a financial <laughs> standpoint was a little bit more challenging. Um, and I started really looking into what do we have close to home. And Michigan State's program is incredible. Uh, the alumni network in itself is a, is a good enough reason to, to come here. But the experiences that you get and that I, I had when I was here and the instruction that you get from the, the professors uh, was invaluable. It was, it's very, it was very hands-on. And that was very attractive. So when I was doing my, you know, junior, senior tours or whatever, and I, I looked into that. I, I was I really fell in love with it. And then, as you know, and as most people that have come to the school know, that day you step foot on campus, you kind of just fall in love with the place. And you don't fall out of love with it. And and I that never changed. I, I love it to this day. I, you know, if I could take a vacation when I wasn't in uh when I when I was working in another state, it would be to come to East Lansing to come to a game. I just loved it. I love the atmosphere. I love the campus. Um so it it's very close to my heart. Spartans will and absolutely. So Sam, you started to answer it already, but tell me a little bit more about how your time at MSU impacted you, prepared you for where you are and maybe still does. Like you said, this Spartanness never leaves us. It was a eye-opening experience. I, I took a Journalism 100 class my first semester, and I will never forget this because I think it actually impacted and changed my trajectory in the way I think. Uh, Jerry Zeldis was my professor, and Jerry is as good as they come. And we had to do it was a writing assignment, and when she handed it back, I thought I did a pretty good job. You know, I turned it in, I felt like I did a good job. And when she handed it back to me, it wasn't an F. It was a, an actual zero, not... I, I didn't fail. I literally got a zero. It was so bad. And I asked her why. And she went through and she nitpicked everything that I did wrong. And I remember I called my dad after and he, he was like, well, you know, basically figure it out. <laughs> it's, 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 it's you to figure out. Um, but I think it was important to have that because it set a standard that we don't really accept average in this program. We are pushing you to be the best that you can be. And I took that to heart and that meant a lot. And I, I, Really, that zero will all I will never forget that, and um, that is the kind of pushing that you got. And then, of course, Jerry was great telling me why I yes. struggle and what I can do to improve, and that was great. And you mentioned Gary Reed, who was another person who taught audio and just taught you just how to be a professional outside of just the, the nuts and bolts, the X's and O's, just taught you how to be a professional. I had Sue Carter was a, a oh. great instructor and, and Ellie Dickerson. I mean, it was another one I, I think of back in my time. And these are people who, you know, I don't, I've talked to Gary quite often, but I, you know, don't talk to the other ones, but they transformed the way that my career has gone because they were so hands-on. I don't know that you get that everywhere, um, but you certainly get it at Michigan state. And I'm sure the professors here now are, are take the same approach, but that was really important um, for them to, to really take a vested interest in, in who I was and where I wanted to see my career go, uh, how, where I wanted to see it go. And if I laid out a plan, they were going to do everything they can to, to help get me there. So I, I give them a lot of credit for that. And do you mind sharing with me one time you told me about your Mount Rushmore of broadcasters, yeah. who those people are, why they inspire you? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it starts, the, Ernie Harwell was, you know, I, I have a, a poster of Ernie Harwell that, that I've taken with me pretty much every stop that I have, just because outside of just who he was as a voice and his talent, uh, I think he meant a lot to his community. And 
I really believe that broadcasting at its core is a community service. Um, and they're, especially on a local level. And I, I think Ernie was kind of the, the gold standard of, of, of being a voice of not only your sports team, but, but the community and, and kind of getting a sense of the, who this, this, what the community was feeling. Um, but my ultimate is George Blaha. You know, he has, he has been my uh, favorite broadcaster um, since I was a kid. I, I shared the story with Russ you know, before that when I was 11 years old, I had a chance to do some PA announcing at the Palace before a Pistons game. And George met me in the tunnel and, and was very kind with his time. And then a couple of years later, when I was at Michigan State, I was doing a job shadowing. And I reached out to him and he remembered me and invited me to shadow him at a Pistons game and kind of took me under his wing. And then when I moved on to Minnesota, I was covering the Timberwolves as a reporter. And I went and saw him when the Pistons were in town. And again, he remembered me. Same thing in Indiana when I was covering the Pacers and at a Pacers game, we, we stopped and chatted for a little bit. That is the kind of personalization and the, to remember just a, a young kid who had a dream and to take the time. It was five minutes each time. He wasn't calling me. The, this was five minutes, but it, it, it was inspiring for a young reporter. And I love that giving back nature um, and that he has. So I'm uh, forever indebted for him for, for keeping me inspired in, in broadcasting. But, I mean, there have been great, yeah. great broadcasting. You know, I grew up, Carmen Harlan, you know, on WDIV was just, she was on TV every night. You know, Don Shane, I think of guys like that. Dan Dickerson, you know, oh. uh, uh, you know who, who's been great. And, uh, you know, those are people that, again, they mean a lot to their community. It's more than just what you see on air. It's the stuff that they're doing. When the mic shuts off, they leave the studio, but they embed themselves in the community, and I, and I love that. And I know you mentioned another fellow Spartan, Don Gagne, was one of Don, your inspirations. Yeah, as a, as a as a public radio guy, it was uh, it was always good to have Don Gagne. And I loved when in his stories he would slip in just little nuggets about you know his Tigers fandom or about Detroit. You know, at a time when Detroit was sometimes the butt of some jokes, Don would would stand strong for for the city, and and I always appreciated that. And again, you love to see people that are from here go on and, and do bigger and better things. And, you know, I'll just circling back to Michigan state, you know, I'm, those are people that I grew up listening to, right. but I'm a fan of a lot of the people that I went to school with. I, I think a guy's, you know, Ryan field oh. is, is incredible. He was in, inducted to the distinguished alumni last year and he's a great guy. And he and I interact, you know, on social media every now and then I saw him when I was in New York a couple of years ago. I think a guy's like Ross Jones, who was in my class and you want to talk about intimidating. This is a man that is breaking national news stories. And he's the guy I went to school with. It's like, oh, you got to step your game up a little bit because he, he's, he's doing incredible things. Um, yeah, I'm very close friends with Jamal Spencer at WZZM, who's doing uh, absolutely uh, fantastic stuff. So you, you hear and you see what these people are doing when they leave campus. Um, and it, it really is is. It's, it's inspirational. Yeah. One other name, Justin Rose, is yeah. another guy who really pushed some boundaries on, on sports broadcasting and, and did a, just a great job localizing things. He was in my class. And you see the success these people have, and you say, this is why I went to Michigan State, because they're producing incredible people. And that's just on air. There's a lot of other way more successful people who are doing things behind the scenes, but there is a lot of talent that comes out of here. You're so right, Sam, that MSU broadcasting alumni tree just reaches yes. not only throughout Michigan, but the country and yep, the world. Absolutely. It's a wonderful program. And, and let's stay on MSU sure. for a moment. With all you've been through and where you see things going, what's your advice for the students at MSU and elsewhere now who I don't even necessarily want to say want to get into broadcasting, yeah. but communications in general because it's so 
so blurred now and just, you, you know, you need to have a big skill set, I guess. The advice that I would give is, is don't be afraid to take the job that you're unsure of. Uh, I think it's better just to get your foot in the door and then figure it out. You know, the plan that you have right now as a student is not what is going to happen. It's, you know, if, if you are the 1% that it, it goes perfectly, uh, good for you, but it, it just won't. Um, so to be flexible uh, and to be open to, to new opportunities. I, the guy that I, where I just came from uh, in Indiana, uh, Dave Arlen was my boss and he gave me some great advice. He said, you know, never turn down a job that you weren't offered. So take some interviews and have that meeting with someone that you might have you might have no idea what they're about or what they could do for you. Take the meeting and have conversations, meet people, uh, extend your network as much as you possibly can because you don't know in 10 to 15 years where you may cross paths again. And so I, I think it's important that people challenge themselves a little bit in stepping outside of a comfort zone. So again, you might have that plan that you want to be that young reporter who goes to ESPN, but you're not going to get that after your first <laughs> year. But the steps that you take and try new things can ultimately get you there. Um, be patient as well. These things take time. Uh, careers take time. Uh, so just be as, as patient as you possibly can in, in getting to where you ultimately want to go. I'm just an advocate of, of our TV and radio industry. So I, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of opportunity. We, we talked about, you know, what are the, some of the challenges, but I think there's a lot of opportunity. And, and I want to bring up just uh, two things here that I think are, are important from an industry standpoint. Uh, localism, I think, is going to be as important now as it has ever been. And I think we've seen that a lot over the last two years, 18 months with the pandemic and people trying to get as much news that affects them in their backyard, where to get uh, a vaccine shot, what, what shops are open. You don't get that unless you have local coverage. And we need to invest in, in that localism. You know, I, I'm an, I love newspapers, and, and I, I really hope that local papers find a way to survive. I, I think they're an invaluable community resource. But if they're not, well, there has to be someone that, that is there as well. And I think that's where TV and radio really can, can carry that. Um, I, I think, you know, from a national standpoint, you can pretty much get the national news. It's in your pocket every day in your phone. You can find news content everywhere. But to get some of that local perspective, to hear local voices, to hear the city councilor's perspective on why a decision was made, or to hear a school board chair to tell you why the policy was switched this way. You need to have those conversations. You need to hear from those people. And I think that is really where TV and radio is going. It's always been local, but I think hyper-local is, is the future of our industry. And you're right, Sam, as we've talked, you know, it's one thing to read a quote, but right. to hear it and the inflection and the passion is a completely different thing. So we need both. <laughs> yeah, it can completely change the context of That's it. That's right. Well, Sam, again, you, you started to, to uh, do it for me, but just summarize what you'd like our listeners to know about the Michigan Association of Broadcasters and, and where you hope to take it. Yeah, uh, again, it's, it's an incredible organization that's had a incredible leader in Carol White who's been there 37 years and, and in her own way is very much a pioneer, you know, one of the, the first women to, to lead a, an association like this and has been just an incredible leader uh, her entire career. Um, but I think the biggest part for us is we are going to create opportunities um, for, for students, whether it's through a scholarship program or career fairs or simply putting on events that connect students to broadcasters. 
that's where our opportunity lies. I know over the last five years, they've given away about $150,000 worth of college scholarships uh, to students at colleges and high schools. We're going to continue that and, and really put a focus on that because we want to make sure that the students that are coming out feel supported. And a financial burden is, is always a concern, especially from a broadcaster. So if we can do something to help ease that, we'll, we'll, we'll do a lot to look at that. But the other thing is just to make sure that our industry feels strong and that it has a future. And it, do, it does. I mean, I, I am a huge proponent of, of TV and radio on a local level and just making sure that we stay ahead of the trends, uh, create programs that allow our members to feel like, okay, we can step into that next generation of whatever broadcasting looks like because we're hearing from the people that are making that happen. It's, it's our job as the MAB to help connect our members to to that, those trends and those, those decision makers. Well, Sam, welcome home. Thank and you. it's been great talking with you and getting up to speed on you and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. So thanks for being on the program. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Russ. That's Sam Clement. He's the president and CEO-elect of the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. Much more about everything we've talked about online at mishmab.com, M-I-C-H-M-A-B.com. And I'm Russ White. This is MSU Today.